0: Hi, and thanks for listening to Ask the Pastor. This is a segment of the West Hills podcast where you have the opportunity to ask and receive biblical answers to your questions from our lead pastor, Will Duvall. I'm your host, Brian Wells, and I'm really excited to dive into our question this week from an anonymous listener. The question is Can we trust that the Bible is true and accurate? This is of course a massively important uh, question and just for sake of context here, um, I am recording this podcast just a few weeks into our current sermon series in the fall of 2021 now entitled Essentials Foundations of the Christian Faith and uh, not inconsequentially I um, preached the very first message of that uh, sermon series preaching through our uh, our essential statement of faith as a church on the Bible and I made the claim during that opening sermon uh, that we cannot know conclusively that the Bible is the inspired inerrant word of God that we at a certain point have to be willing to accept that claim simply on faith uh, faith like a child and and that that belief that the Bible is God's word um, becomes axiomatic to the Christian worldview. Um, and again, an axiom is something like faith. Can't be completely 100% verifiable, uh, proven. Uh, just has to, to be sort of your, your starting basic a priori assumption. Now, that is a little different from this anonymous listener's question, though. Because the question for this podcast is, how uh, can we know that the Bible is accurate and true? Not necessarily is it the Word of God, but is it accurate and true? And I think the answer to that question is yes, a resounding yes, in fact. And as usual, I'm going to pull uh, pretty heavily from a variety of sources here in my own uh, argument or explanation, um, and we'll try and link those, uh, as always, in the show notes for you below. Um, If you want to dig deeper into the evidence for yourself, fact-check any of these claims that I will use uh, in support of the Bible's reliability. And reliability is really what this question is getting at. and as for sources, I told you in a sermon just a, a few weeks ago, one of my favorite sources for answers on these kinds of questions that I draw real heavily from on uh, this Ask the Pastor podcast is gotquestions.org. I found it to be, a speaking of reliability, a very reliable uh, source of information, truth um, on, uh, on God's Word. But here's what they say. They say reliability is a question of truthfulness and accuracy in copying. And again, that's what our listener rightly asked about, both the truth of the Bible as well as its accuracy, presumably not only uh, to what we know from history and science, but to itself, Um, you know, are, are the, what we have today, copies of copies of copies of copies of the Bible, are they accurate too? even uh, the earliest copies of the Bible, the original copies of the Bible. And so gotquestions.org continues on. Writings that are historically and factually correct and that have been faithfully preserved over time would be considered reliable. Higher levels of historical verification and better confidence in transmission make it easier to determine whether an ancient work is worthy of trust. By those measures, we can consider the Bible reliable. And so then they support that claim. As is true with any historical work, not every single detail in the Bible can be directly confirmed. The Bible cannot be called unreliable simply because it contains parts which cannot be confirmed or have not yet been confirmed. What's reasonable is to expect it to be accurate where it can be checked. This is the primary test of reliability, and here the Bible has a stellar track record. Not only have many of its historical details been confirmed, but certain por- uh, portions that were once in doubt have been verified by later archaeology. And then they list a few examples from archaeological digs in the 1920s and clay tablets from Syria dating back to 2300 BC, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and they conclude, "...no facts presented in the Old uh, or New Testaments have been shown false." This historical reliability is crucial to our trust in other statements made in Scripture. Even the miraculous occurrences in Genesis uh, have evidential basis that we can appeal to today. Ancient Babylonian records describe a confusion of language in accordance with the biblical account of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. These same records describe a worldwide flood, an event present in literally hundreds of forms and cultures all over the world. The sites where Sodom and Gomorrah uh, once sat And Genesis 19 have been found displaying evidence of fiery and violent destruction. Even the plagues of Egypt and the resulting Exodus, uh, detailed in Exodus chapter 12, have archaeological support. This trend continues in the New Testament, where the names of various cities, political uh, officials, and events have been repeatedly confirmed by historians and archaeologists. And so that answers the truthfulness question, and then they move on to the accuracy issue. And... uh, and record for us that the New Testament writings were composed within a few decades of the events that they describe, far too early for legend or myth to overtake actual history. In fact, the basic framework for the gospel can be dated to a formal creed, just a few years after the crucifixion of Jesus, according to Paul's description in First Corinthians fifteen three through eight. Historians have have access to a tremendous number of manuscripts, um, almost six thousand manuscripts with over 24,000 copies uh, within a few, the first few centuries of, of church history. And those manuscripts are 99.5% accurate to one another. Where they do differ, textual criticism helps us conclude that the vast majority of uh, the differences are simply due to spelling or grammatical errors and copying. You have to remember that you know, the earliest scribes of, of the Bible had to copy all of this by hand. There's no Xeroxing, no spell-checking. And nowhere is a major doctrinal tenet of the faith in question based on the text's transmissibility. So they conclude, after all this proving, that the New Testament was reliably and quickly copied and distributed. This gives ample confidence that what we read today correctly represents the original writing. The Old Testament, Old Testament as well, shows all Evidence of being reliably transmitted. When the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in the 1940s, they were 800 years older than any other available manuscripts. Comparing earlier and later manuscripts showed a meticulous approach to transmission. Uh, I think the the uh, I did a little bit more digging. I think the number was like over 95% um, accuracy from from Uh, between manuscripts and and copies with the Dead Sea Scrolls. Once again adding to our confidence that uh, what we have today accurately represents the original text. Those factors all give uh, objective reasons to consider the Bible reliable. At the same time, it's critically important to examine those same factors and other texts that we use to write our history books. The Bible has more empirical support, a shorter time between original writing and surviving copies, and a greater number of source manuscripts than any other ancient work by far. And uh, then they give some examples. For example, there's 251 copies of the works of Julius Caesar, the earliest from 950 years after he wrote, with no way to know how well the copies even represent the originals, which we don't have. There are 109 copies of the works of the historian Herodotus, the earliest from 1,400 years after he wrote. Archaeologists have found 1,800-plus manuscript copies of the works of Homer, allowing us a 95% confidence in the original text, but for the New Testament, there are currently uh, almost 6,000 manuscripts. With most early copies anywhere from two to 300 years later, some uh, within a hundred years. The earliest manuscript of the New Testament we have, P52 papyrus, uh, with fragments of the Gospel of John, um, dates back to just 25 years after its writing. So within you know a couple decades, uh, there were you know, folks who were alive when, when uh, John was alive, who, who remember him you know, telling the story orally, surely um, that could have fact-checked things. This gives a better than 99% confidence in the contents of the original text. In short, they conclude, we not only have objective reasons to claim the Bible is reliable, but we can, cannot call it unreliable without throwing out almost everything else that we know of ancient history. If the scriptures don't pass the test for trustworthiness, then no records from that era can, which is a pretty staggering uh, thought to me to think, like, okay, you want to question doubt, the, the, the Bible, the New Testament's reliability, uh, that means you're basically throwing out everything that we know of, of history before the time of Jesus, because it's the most reliable by far from, from that or, or any previous era. So then, um, you know, there's this whole other issue of uh, what's called canonicity um, or the process canon, uh, of canonization, of determining the canon, the the, the, the standard, the uh, accepted books um, that made it into the Bible. I won't really get into that here. That might be a, another topic for another podcast episode sometime. You know, how did we get the, the books in the Bible that we got? You know, I've heard that there's these missing gospels or lost gospels or whatever Um, the long and short of it is that the the later church councils of the fourth century AD didn't really determine what books were inspired and authoritative so much as they simply recognized them to be, uh, authoritative and inspired. The books that made the final cut into what we now know today as the Bible had already been in widespread common use by the church, by churches all over the world, uh, the global church at that point for centuries. So, um, with all that said, lastly, I want I want to take just a minute as we close to zoom in on Jesus, because for me, a very worst case scenario, if 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 somehow, you know, some of the more obscure parts of the Bible, you know, could could be true, could be somehow proven to not be true or accurately preserved or something like that. At the end of the day, for me, uh, I, I I believe all of the Bible is true, uh, but at the end of the day, what is most important to me is that the gospel, the good news about Jesus and who he was, who he is, what he did for me, is that, that is what is most important to me to know that that is true, that is accurate, that is uh, reliable. And so uh, I, I found this video. Uh, there's lots out there, but I love this one because it's two and a half minutes long. Um, and it's a video by a um, by an, uh, a source, an interviewer called the One Minute Apologist. And he's uh, interviewing biblical scholar and apologist Frank Turek. And uh, I found this incredibly helpful. Again, we'll link it in the show notes. But Turek offers six reasons for believing the New Testament testimony about Jesus. Six testimonies, he calls them. So there's, and, and they all start with the letter E, so a nice mnemonic device here. There's early testimony. Uh, He says most, if not all, of the New Testament documents were written prior to the year 70 A.D., so within a generation of uh, Jesus' actual life. So you can trust that these weren't stories that got spun over time, centuries of, of evolving. Number two, there's eyewitness testimony, 140 details just between the book of Acts and the gospel of John alone. Uh, have been verified to be eyewitness details. They were they were falsifiable. You know, if, if, if somebody, uh, again, from that early eyewitness period that, that walked around with Jesus and his earliest followers um, had, had picked up and read, you know, this writing, like, hey, wait, no, uh, Peter didn't work those miracles. Paul didn't work those miracles that you're writing about here. Um, they would have been thrown out. They would have been uh, falsified, but they weren't. Number three, you've got embarrassing testimony. So many details about Jesus' life that his his disciples never would have made up. For instance, the fact that the disciples were, were fled from the foot of the cross at Jesus' crucifixion while uh, the female followers stuck around. The fact that the, the women were the ones to go and discover Jesus' empty tomb. Um, to me, that, and, and for all of us, that should really impress upon us, like, you know, these, these were... Um, accurate, true uh, accounts of the events. Not only did the, the crucifixion, the resurrection happen, but even the, the, the detailed accounts of them, to me we can trust more because they're including this stuff that, that there's no way the disciples would have uh, had any reason to, to make up these, some of these facts surrounding them. Number four, you've got excruciating testimony—the fact that the disciples were willing to go to their deaths, brutal deaths, rather than to renounce their faith in Christ. You know, I've said this personally, for me, from the pulpit a number of times at West Hills—that uh, this 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 claim that sane people don't willingly die for a known lie—and I won't pick all of every component of that apart. But you know, if you're if you're insane. Uh, then, yeah, you're, you're not trustworthy. Um, maybe you're forced to die um, for, for, for a truth. The disciples weren't. They could have renounced. Um, maybe, maybe you just don't know that what you're dying for is a lie. Um, you know, there's any number of other religions out there, uh, the Mormons, Muslims, whatever, that um, later followers, uh, you know, took Joseph Smith's word for it, took Muhammad's word for it, uh, that he had received the Quran and all this sort of thing, but they weren't eyewitnesses in the same way that those early apostles uh, and, and disciples that died in Jesus' name, uh, they knew exactly what they were dying for. Uh, and they, they said, yeah, no, I'm, I, I will not <laughs> renounce my faith in Christ because I've, I've seen with my own two eyes uh, who he is and what he did. And I saw him in his resurrected body and so you can kill me if you have to, but, but I'm not turning my back on him. Uh, number five, you've got expected testimony. So Jesus fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies about him um, in a way that just, again, the odds of any one person fulfilling even you know, 10 of those o- Old Testament-specific prophecies would just be astronomical. And finally, number six, you've got extra biblical testimony. So you've got 10 ancient non-Christian sources within 150 years of Jesus' death whose writings about Jesus paint a picture of him that is very much in line with the New, New Testament record that we have of him. And so at the end of the day, um, can I prove that the Bible is 100% true and reliable? to the same extent that I can prove let's say that I'm the lead pastor of West Hill's Church no you know I, I can I can pull up my own uh, legal documentation for you and prove that I'm the lead pastor of West Hill's Church in a in a way that no sane person could deny so I'm not going to stand here and, and claim that every sane person should look at the Bible and and accept it as, as 100% true and reliable and, and the Word of God and um, there is unavoidably going to be some faith involved uh, in the claim that the Bible is true. There's certainly uh, faith involved in the claim that it's the inspired word of God, but even in the more modest claim that it's true and reliable, you know, it does. It contains some historical details that we haven't yet confirmed with archaeology. It contains some miracles that do defy the known laws of science. By definition, a miracle defies the known laws of science. And so there's there's going to be faith involved. Um, but are, those, are, are there good reasons for believing by faith that the Bible is true and trustworthy? I think there absolutely are. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Ask the Pastor. Remember that you can ask your questions each week at the info bar at West Hills or by submitting them online through our website at www.westhillsstl.org. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast if you haven't yet, and thanks for listening.